Alright, nice to have you company. 22 minutes away from 813-1269, the open line number, and of course emails always welcome to smsupernetwork.com. Special guest in the studio with me this morning, Helen Dalton, the member for Murray. Hello, Helen. G'day, Marcus. How are you? Yeah, not bad. Long time no see. Thank you for yesterday. No, you're very welcome. We we built down the doors of Parliament House and got you in there. Yeah, well, yeah. I mean, uh, d- during these COVID times, uh, only certain la- certain journalists are allowed in, and if you're not mates with the Sydney Morning Herald, you've got Buckley's. But yeah, I've got you, so that's I'm right. good. Yeah, no, um, <laughs> you've got to be the chosen one, but <laughs> we no, got you in anyway. Good. No, it was good. It was the first time. Time I've been in Parliament for for many years, and uh, yeah, just uh, being shown around and again just reliving you know an old school excursion. But things have changed, of course. And you know, uh, yesterday I didn't realise, but I was wondering why I saw Brad Hazard scurrying around and in little circles with people having a discussion. Of course, he's trying to extend the health orders beyond next year. Uh, they're supposed to end, I think, at the end of March or something. And he wants them extended, in other words, without going uh, back to Parliament to uh, basically act on health orders, which would mean more possible lockdowns, Mm. more possible restrictions just on his whim. And Mm. I don't think that's right. I think we've had enough disruption. We were told uh, by plenty that once we were vaccinated, once we reached a threshold, there would be no more Lockdowns. There would be no more restrictions. We'd learn to live with COVID. uh, And with 90-odd percent of the population vaxxed, I think that's the way it should be. I hope so. I I just hope we do not go back into lockdowns of any sort. I mean, even in my area between... Because I've got a lot of um, border regions between... Uh, Victoria and also South Australia, it's just been horrendous. So not only have they had to uh, cope with New South Wales rules, but the rules of um, the Victorian and South Australian governments. Well, that's right. Mm. And each jurisdiction, each state or each territory has basically gone on their own, despite what the Prime Minister said or tried to say during a national cabinet meeting or a national discussion. It's effectively being the states doing what they damn well like. And, you know, we still can't get into... WA at the moment. We still can't get into Queensland either and, you know, it's all still a mess. And look what's happening in Victoria. People are arcing up against uh, Daniel Andrews wanting to extend the power of the government to lock the joint down again and and many are protesting. That's right. And uh, even I've heard um, from Victorian... um uh, people calling me saying, look out for this. But, um, you know, I think it's a... um, it's disappointing that the the federal government haven't taken this in hand because I consider the COVID epidemic like a war, like a ground assault. Yeah. And if we were at war, um, the Commonwealth would take over. Yeah. And they would say to the states, you've got to be reasonable. Well, that's right. Uh, but... Anyway, let's hope uh, that we've avoided any future lockdowns. You and I were were talking yesterday uh, down on Macquarie Street about the upcoming harvest. Uh, Unfortunately for for many in the Central West, with now the flooding around some areas, that will be devastating for farming communities and agriculture there. 
But things are a little rosier though in your neck of the woods, aren't they? It is. We've had a we've had a lot of rain, but not as much as they have in the in the central west. I mean, yeah. we're seeing now flooding along the Lachlan River again, and yeah. and I've heard farmers saying that they've basically their wheat crops been uh, really downgraded because it shoots in the head and yep. then becomes um, feed only feed value. Mm. So for our for our for us in the Riverina, um, we have had rain, but we're not at that point where the crops are ruined. Mm. I know today it's dry, and um, the minute that uh, they can get their headers on the ground, they'll be out there harvesting, and hopefully, because it wasn't quite ripe, it will be okay, and the quality will um, be top-notch. Let's yeah, hope so. well, they deserve it, uh, because been a little while between drinks, hasn't it? Well, it has. We've had drought and we've had the mouse plague, which has been always very interesting. Mm. Um, you know, I always say we don't have to go to the races to have a flutter. We just go farming. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, What do you mean by that? Oh, it's a gamble a bit. A gamble. You know, with our property, we, we look at um, trying to minimise risk all the time trying to make sure that we make those right decisions yeah and it's not just you know farmers just don't get up in the morning and i'll say oh well we might sow you know a thousand acres of of wheat today yeah those decisions are made five or six years ago when we look at rotations and all of that so i don't think there's anything as as, uh, a dumb farmer i think you've got to have the smarts about you oh absolutely Uh, no doubt about that because your your livelihood Mm. uh, your income uh, the support of your family, everything is dependent upon making these crucial decisions. And then, of course, you have to take into account there are other issues you can't control, like the weather, the climate, mm. rains, floods, droughts, bushfires. We're always on the lookout. It's, it's like a tough game. <laughs> it is a tough game. But, um, yeah, you know, this at, we had a fantastic season last year and yep. f- and for us this year it's 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 looking good we've also um on our property we grow a lot of rice yeah and uh that's in at the moment and looking good so this rain is helping that so um you know there's always a, a silver lining with everything um, yeah, that so we how do. important is the the rice industry here in australia Look, it's very, very important. Um, we're one of the most efficient rice growers in the world. In fact, wow. um, Sunrice is our company where we um, we band together and sell to Sunrise and Sunrise then sell mm-hmm. um, overseas. And, of course, we value add. We're one of the few ag products. We don't bulk it out. We actually polish the rice, put it in bags. Uh, Sunrise itself is a, a significant food company. They mm-hmm. do over, I think, 1,200 different um, uh, products. And um, look, it, it's a wonderful, um, it's a wonderful company, and mm. it's uh, you know we love our rice. Yeah. All right. Um, now I know you're not going to spill the beans on this program, but uh, we discussed briefly yesterday that you've at least got one more. Uh, crack at the government, if you like. One more question uh, to to ask before the end of this parliamentary year. Uh, what are you still seeing as the major issues in in the Murray, in your electorate, uh, one of the biggest, of course, in the country? Uh, the mental health issue, uh, health itself, the hospitals and the underfunding of the hospitals has have things settled down on the waterfront. I mean, what are the you know what are the issues here? Look, the the two main issues really are health and water. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I get an email or a phone call every day uh, about health, and that's not to do with COVID. 
So that's really that from a constituent that that's telling a story, and of course water. While while um, farmers are busy and they've got a good allocation, which they have now, yeah, they've got their head down and they're working very very hard. So, but there's that underlying problem with water um, mm. or water accounting, and uh, there are a few levers that this government could um, could pull to like really what? alleviate. Like what? Um. Well such as um, what they call transmission losses or conveyance, to deliver one meg of water down to South Australia probably takes... Because you've got losses with evaporation and, um, you know, seepage and all that sort of stuff. It actually takes two. Oh, okay. But if you're down at the bottom end of the Murray, Mm. you're only paying for one. So somebody's paying for the other one, and it's the people up... um, in the Upst- middle or yeah. upper Murray, okay. yeah. the irrigators there that are paying f- for that extra one. And that's not fair. Yep. Not okay. fair at all. All right, welcome back, 131269. The open line number, Marcus Paul in the morning, Helen Dalton, member for Murray in the studio with me this morning. Helen, let's talk about foster care. Uh, you are working hard in this space as well. You've got uh, an example for me from your electorate, and there will be a forum in Parliament next year on the issue that you hope the government will come to the table on and provide some funding for. Uh, Tell me about this story. Well, last week some young people who recently left foster care visited me in Parliament. Yep. And these uh, young people, Tara and Justin, were amazing. They're pushing the New South Wales government to support foster care leavers until they're 21. So at the moment, Mm. um, 18 is the time when they're out on their own. Right. um, And... We need to extend that to 21. More than 30% of young people end up homeless within the first years of leaving care. So if you can imagine um, saying goodbye to your, you know, your 18-year-old and say you're on your own, it's pretty tough out there, mm. um, pretty tough for them to get rent and jobs and even yeah. guidance. In particular, too, uh, with, uh, with young people who are in foster care, uh, with respect, they're already at a disadvantage if you like, they haven't grown up in the the nuclear or normal, quote-unquote, family situation. Mm. They're in foster care for whatever reason, uh, and it's already... The the odds are already stacked against them. Uh, And you're right. uh, I mean, we, as parents, you're a parent, I'm a parent, you will forever uh, be looking after your your children until the day you leave. Uh, You know, and, and I know it's different different if you are in a, you know in a foster care situation but certainly foster carers should receive support until perhaps older than 18 if the stats are showing that more than a third of them these kids when they leave care are you know falling in between the cracks that's right look it's it's it makes financial sense too to support those kids because they become um you know, they they get their jobs and they they're guided and yeah. and they then they contribute to society. Now, Justin, um, he was twenty one, mm. uh, a great um, young man, and uh, he's on track um, going to Kapuka. Um, he's interested in politics. So we'll, um, he's, well, he's, keen, he's keen to come into Parliament again too, well, and, well, and just good, see. That is good. That's, yes. that's great. And and Tara, of course, she's um, she was the first person in her family to complete mm. the HSC, and she was as as. 
proud as punch about that and yeah. um, really on track with her life. She she wants to be a hairdresser and beautician and studying for that. So they've got their act together. And uh, look, they were wonderful young Australians and um, we. I'm hoping that the, the New South Wales government will support this most sensible um, reform in a line with the other states that already know that's the right thing to do. Yeah, I think that's fantastic. Uh, now, the, I just want you, uh, you've got your auntie Helen hat on talking about foster care, which is wonderful. And as it gets closer to this forum next year, you and I'll discuss it further. Um, but I just want to uh, put something to you because I know uh, you're, you're attracting a lot of, uh, of uh, support um, from the younger generation, uh, whether it's through <laughs> this program or through Jordan Shanks, Friendly Geordies, whatever. But I think young women in particular look up to you as a role model. And I mean that sincerely. And I want to get your, your viewpoint on this. Cyber safety experts are pleading with parents to speak to children as young as nine about the dangers of sending nude photographs online. The comments come after a rise in image-based abuse material during the COVID pandemic. Researchers have published a startling report which shows an increase in teens and tweens, that is those who are under the age of 15, sharing explicit uh, video contents, photographs. A lot of the time, none. Of, it's non-consensual because it gets reshared. And I know we've got sexting laws in place and all the rest of it, but, you know, the stats are really concerning. Um, those aged between 9 and 17, more than half reported sending nudes to someone they had never met in real life. It's scary, absolutely. Now, as a mother mm. and as wearing your Auntie Helen hat this morning, what are you going to say to young people listening to you right now? Don't do it. Don't do it. And also parents, too, to keep an eye on, on what's happening. Um, it's very, very difficult to, to keep track of what your children are doing, but um, you need to speak to your children about all of that. Um, you need to make sure that, you know, you know what's going on. You don't have to be overly, um, I suppose, uh, overbearing, but, yeah. but, but you need to be concerned about all of this. Well, it is concerning. Sexting mm. is becoming viewed as normal activity among teenagers and tweens. Now, mm. that really worries me. It's terrible. And, um, I mean, strangely enough, we had that um, problem in Parliament last last year where an MP was yeah. sexting. Well, they're old enough. Uh, and, and, you know, that's They quite, should be, but yeah. um, we, well. we, we, we as role models should be really stamping that out and saying Well, that's that true, actually, yes. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the standard is one, you know, that you walk past, walk past you accept. Mm. Uh, well, you're absolutely right. Mm. Uh, if, if we've got to set the, yeah, we've got to set the the agenda and, and the standards. The eSafety Commissioner is recommending that parents speak to their children about the dangers of sharing intimate images. The organisation provides guidelines on how to approach the topic, match your approach to your child's level of maturity, age and the type of relationship you share with them. Uh, and, and look, a lot of the time, parents find it quite difficult to talk about these issues with their children. Um, they don't want to broach it because they don't want to upset them or accuse them of doing something, all the rest of it. Um, but that's why I think it's important that uh, young men and women, but I don't mean to just single out young women, but in particular, I believe they are the most vulnerable here. They need to listen to Auntie Helen when she says... 
Don't do it at all. No. It's just, it's terrible. And um, it's a digital, please, it's a digital uh, footprint that is there forever. Forever. And I don't think they understand that. Yeah. Um, and yeah, so we need to educate them, and yeah. we need to speak to them um, nicely, and and have those open conversations. Yeah, nude pict- uh, pictures, sexting, all the rest of it should not be the new normal for our kids. Helen Dalton, member for Murray, thank you for coming in and joining us. Thank you, Marcus. We'll talk to you again next week. <laughs> Look forward.